All right, so let me ask you a question this morning before we get into the message, and simply based on what we just sang together. How many of you can recall a time when you called and he answered and he came to your rescue? Hey, look around, keep your hands up, look around. We serve a faithful God, don't we? We're going to look at a passage this morning where the psalmist says, this is it. This is what happened. I called and you delivered me. So if you don't have a Bible this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, just put your hand up. Our ushers are coming right now, and they will give you a Bible that you can use to follow along in. And as usual, if you are receiving one of those Bibles right now and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, keep the one that you have. There is so much in God's Word that encourages us and strengthens us and teaches us, does so much for us, brings us life, and we ought to be tapping into it on a more regular basis. This morning we start a new series of messages that I want to, and I, I want to introduce the theme of this series to you before we get into today's message. And so there's an image that you're seeing that's coming up on the screen, and it's our graphic for the series. And I want to explain the reason behind this graphic. It says a lot about what I'm going to talk about for the next few months. I actually love pictures like this. And today's message will help you understand why they're so meaningful to me. Why do I find encouragement from a picture of a tree that's thriving in the desert or a tree growing out of a rock or something like that, something so unlikely? Um, if you've been on the Pictured Rocks cruise, you've seen, if you were on, how many of you have done the Pictured Rocks cruise? This is just something we did years ago, and, and I remember, as I'm thinking about it right now, I remember passing a particular rock sticking out of the water, a giant tower of a rock, and out of the top of this rock is this tree. It's growing on apparently nothing. It's very, very unlikely. So what does this say to me, and what do I hope it says to all of us? This series is called, as you saw, Unlikely. And the picture explained the meaning of the series title. A tree growing in an environment like that is highly unlikely. Anything growing in the desert is highly unlikely. And I know this from experience, not just common sense. I worked for five years as an agriculturalist living on the southern edge of the Sahara Desert. And I helped farmers figure out how to create an environment where things could actually grow and flourish in the desert. That was my role. And there's actually a deep connection to this idea in the Bible. I see it because I love this kind of imagery. I love this kind of language. I think we all need to see it because it directly relates to us as followers of Jesus in this world. Let me give you a couple of examples of what I've seen in the Bible, and, and you can just listen to these first couple of passages. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Um, our text for today uh, is coming up a little bit later, and we'll look at that together, but this helps set the stage for us. So listen to Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. Psalm 92, 12 to 15. The righteous flourish like the palm tree. 
and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. The Bible talks about trees a lot. The cedar trees mentioned in many books, in many contexts in the Bible. It's a tall, productive, useful tree. Um, Palms are mentioned here since they seem to defy the odds regardless and they flourish in places that defy logic in dry, hot environments. And this psalm mentions something that speaks directly to where we're going in this series. The psalmist says that these trees flourish in the courts of our God because they're planted in the house of the Lord. That's significant, and you're going to see why as we go. And then there's this reference in Isaiah chapter 41, verses 17 to 20. Listen to this. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together that they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. More trees. There's the cedar again, and this time the acacia, and I had one of those trees in my yard in Senegal. The myrtle, the olive, the plain, which we have here in the Midwest, and the pine, which of course we're very familiar with. God says through the prophet Isaiah that he will make these beautiful, productive trees flourish in the harsh environment of this world. Where his people are thirsty for water, God will provide. Now that's encouraging to me. And I want this whole series to be encouraging for us, Chapel Hill. We can flourish, we can thrive, even in this world that is not ideally suited for God's people. God can and will make it happen. He will bring the flourishing. He will multiply the trees in the forest. This series is going to be about our journey to God, and I mean our ongoing day-to-day, lifelong journey. I don't just mean the day that we had our eyes open to see God. We're on His road, His path, daily and together And I'm hoping that we can come to a greater understanding of what that means in the weeks ahead. I see us as a forest that flourishes and expands even in the desert. One of the things that cultivated the idea for this series was the concept of a journey. 
And specifically, I want us to walk parallel to the nation of Israel, God's people, and the journey that they've been on historically, because this is our journey now. We have been adopted into God's family, and we now walk this journey together today. And so we're going to look together at a series of psalms as part of our journey. These psalms are called the Songs of Ascent. And they have a significant place in the history of God's people. Back in the Bible and, and since then, the Israelites would make the journey to, up to Jerusalem for three annual Jewish holidays that prompted this journey. They made the trip for Passover, for Pentecost, and the festival of tabernacles or tents or booths. And when I say they went up to Jerusalem... That was very true. That was literally true. Jerusalem sits up above the rest of that countryside, and so it was an uphill journey to Jerusalem. Now, you may remember from last week that Ryan Beach, who was up here doing the welcome, mentioned his daughter being in Jerusalem and sending them pictures of the roads leading up to Jerusalem. And so I grabbed a couple pictures from them that their daughter had sent. And so I want you to see these pictures. These are the steps leading up to the temple in Jerusalem. Everything was an uphill climb. And so during this journey, this is what they would go through. They would climb the steps. They would rise up to Jerusalem. That's why they're called Songs of the Ascent, going up. Next picture then looks at roads outside Jerusalem leading into Jerusalem. And they all had this uphill bent to them. You have to work to get there. And that's just the reality of going up to Jerusalem. And so we're going to talk about these psalms that have to do with this journey to Jerusalem. The Songs of Ascent were 15 psalms that the Israelites sang along the way on their journey. We're going to learn about what those songs said, why they sang them, and why they went to Jerusalem. The 15 psalms are Psalm 120 to 134, and today we're going to begin with Psalm 120. We're not going to deeply study each and every psalm. Some of them are very short and very clear, but we're going to tie them into our worship time together. We're going to reference each psalm. We're going to draw some parallels to our own journey and Israel's journey and Jesus' journey to Jerusalem in his life and ministry. There are so many rich and meaningful things that we can draw from these parallels, and so I'm excited about what God is going to show us along the way. It is so good to connect on this level every so often. I think we, we look at each other differently when we realize that we're all walking the same path together, and it's a path that parallels Jesus' path and the path of God's people throughout history. This is bigger than just us. This is bigger than just me or just you. So turn now to Psalm 120. That's where we'll start today. Psalm 120. And this is going to set up our journey in a rather unique way. Um, I'm grateful for the perspective that I gained through looking at these psalms in this journey. This is where it starts, Psalm 120. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. 
What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, as Israel headed out on one of their annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem, this is what they started with. And when I first read these psalms, I have to admit that I was a little confused as to why this was their starting point. Now I see why. And we have to see why. In our own journey as God's people, we rarely consider the environment in which we live from the perspective of God's people historically. And let me explain what I mean here. There are things about this world that really bother me. And this is a deep down kind of bothering. There are things about this world that really get to me. This psalm is one place in the Bible that reminds me of why I'm bothered by this world so much. And when I say world, I want to be clear on this, I don't mean the people of this world. I mean the earthly kingdom and its values. Let me first explain Some of the phrases and names in this psalm that are probably not familiar to us, and then I'll dig into its meaning a little more. In verse 1, the writer declares our need for a deliverer, which is found very frequently in the psalms and elsewhere. There's a declaration, we need a deliverer. He declares that we know where to turn, we know who to turn to. And the distress is about to be described. Verse 2 describes what David wants to be delivered from. He writes about lies and deceit, things that we were not created to experience. This is not how things were meant to be here in this world. Verse 3 is a rhetorical question about the consequences for the one throwing these lies at the world. And then verse 4 states what the consequence is. It's judgment. Glowing coals symbolize judgment here and in many places in the Bible. Verse 5 is a statement of self-pity. My life stinks. Why do I have to live temporarily? Why do I have to sojourn in a place that looks more like Meshech and Kedar than the world that God created and how it was meant to be? Verse 6 continues that thought. We've lived here in this messed up place for too long. And verse 7 gives us an example of the struggle, the tension between the desire for peace and the quest for war. There's some angst expressed here over the state of our world and our place in this world. And I connect with that angst. I think many of us do. Let me describe the, the two places that are mentioned here, Meshech and Kedar, because this clarifies a lot. Meshech was a region far to the north of Palestine, the area where God's people lived. Meshech is where southern Russia is today. And at that time, it was a wild place, an uncivilized place, populated by barbarians. It was a rough place. Kedar was a region in the Arabian desert, 
also a wild region where nomadic peoples who lived in tents made from black goat skins lived. And the word Kedar is often associated with darkness. So what the writer's saying is that the world in which he lived was looking and feeling more like these places than the kind of place where God and his people were meant to dwell. And he was right. This world is not the way God created it. Sin has taken its toll. We can agree to that. And we temporarily live in a place that is fallen and twisted. We are sojourners here. We are temporary dwellers here. We don't belong here. Years ago, I mentioned one of my favorite Switchfoot songs. It's called Beautiful Letdown. This song effectively describes the fact that we, like David did, live in a world that is not ideal. It has become like the wilderness, like the desert, and some thought has to be given to how God's people can flourish in a place like this. The lyrics of the Switchfoot song, Beautiful Letdown, include these ones. It says, I don't belong here. Ah, easy living, you're not much like the name. Easy dying, you look just about the same. Would you please take me off your list? Easy living, come on and let me down. We're still chasing our tails in the rising sun, in our dark water planet, still spinning in a direction no one wins. No one's won. I don't belong here. Honestly, that song's been echoing in my head for decades. Simply put, I don't belong here. We don't belong here. As people who were created for God to live in his presence, in his truth, in his light, this place has very little to offer us right now. And a deep dissatisfaction with this place is exactly where our journey as God's people, followers of Jesus, begins. We have a purpose here. Think back to Peter's message last week. But we are not citizens of this world's kingdom and we're not identified by this world's values. Now go back in your mind to the image of a tree flourishing in the desert. As people created by God and is in his image, we can't survive without him, can we? Every day, there's a choice before us. Do we choose the world and seek what we need to flourish in this world and what it has to offer? Or do we seek what we need in God? Psalm 120 speaks to this tension. We cry out for God to deliver us from the world that we live in and how little it has to offer us. We cry out for a deliverer to give us what we need here in the midst of an environment that cannot save or sustain us. The start of our journey as followers of Jesus requires a choice. Two choices, actually. One choice to reject and one choice to embrace. And this set of choices is summed up in the word repent. 
God calls his creation to repent, to leave one path and head down another. But the one path has to be rejected. We don't walk in a path that includes the world's way and God's way. We reject one way and we embrace the other. I am thoroughly dissatisfied with what the world has to offer me. I'm reading a book right now that speaks directly to this journey that we're going to explore. It's a book by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. How's that for a catchy title? Um, Some here have already commented on how boring that book sounds and how not surprised they are that I find it interesting. (laughs) And yes, I take that as a bit of an insult. But I'm the kind of person who sees my faith journey as a lifelong commitment and journey, not just a one-time decision. This is what Eugene Peterson writes about our need to be dissatisfied with this world. He writes, a person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out on the Christian way. As long as we think that the next election might eliminate crime and establish justice, or another scientific breakthrough might save the environment, or another pay raise might push us over the edge of anxiety into a life of tranquility, we are not likely to risk the arduous uncertainties of the life of faith. A person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he, before she, acquires an appetite for the world of grace. Staring me in the face is a significant question. Am I truly dissatisfied with the world's kingdom and the world's values? Are we dissatisfied? Is God's family dissatisfied? Way back in Bible times, was God's family dissatisfied with the world's kingdom and values? Based on Psalm 120, at least some of them were. David was dissatisfied. And Israel certainly was at times as a nation Israel rejected the world's kingdom as it was represented by Mesopotamia in Abraham's time, and they rejected Egypt's representation in Moses' time. Peter pointed that out last week. The New Testament church faced this decision and rejected Rome's version of the world's kingdom and its values. God's people have historically rejected the world and embraced the way of God's kingdom, Jesus' way. Can that be said of God's people now? Or do we do our best to dance with two partners? Have we too often decided that we really don't have to reject the world's kingdom and values? Do we believe that we can serve both kingdoms? Get what we can from the world and get what we can from God. I have to stop 
and deliberately think about what the world offers before I can answer this question. The world says that humans reign supreme. The forces of nature and other people are our adversaries. The world says that humankind is independent and growing stronger all the time. The world says that God is either non-existent or completely unconcerned. Humans shape history. Humans create change. Humans are capable of attaining their own salvation. Tell you what, there's a lot more to the world's kingdom and values, but isn't this far enough to give me reason to pause and question my acceptance of this world? And let me state again that this is not about the people around me. It's about a kingdom and its values that is lying to every human being on the planet. And beyond rejecting this kingdom and embracing God's, we're called to see how the lies and deception are imprisoning the people around us and surrender ourselves to being used by God to lead them to freedom. What's needed, church, is a no to this world's kingdom and a yes to God's kingdom. That's repentance. And then we live out our lives temporarily in an environment filled with those lies, an environment in which we cannot flourish without the creator of the springs of living water. The one who did that for Israel. The one who does that for us. He has set us free from this world's kingdom. God's people throughout history have acknowledged that. Israel was set, was set free by God. God's church has been set free by God. You and I have been set free. We have been delivered and now God is calling us to serve with him in his mission to set others free and grow a flourishing, multiplying church in a desert-like world. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up and prepare to close the service to us. So let's wrap it up this way. David lamented the challenge of living here, sojourning here, living temporarily in this place. He wasn't wrong in doing so. We have permission to whine about this a little bit. But he knew that we have an answer to that lamenting. And God is that answer. God promises to provide streams of living water for us in this desert. A place that one day will all be restored. But even today we have what we need. We have what we need to stand up against the lies and deception. We have what we need to not just survive, but thrive in the desert. And we have what we need to be agents of life and freedom and hope in this desert. We can and should celebrate daily that God has delivered us 
We can celebrate his provision of life and truth and forgiveness and hope and love. And we can celebrate daily that he chose us to bring this message of his sufficiency to the people around us who are dying of thirst in the desert. This series is meant to be a journey that represents the journey that God's people have taken throughout history. A journey to God. It represents the journey that Jesus took, a journey to save and redeem. This is our life as God's people. This is the journey that we take as residents of God's kingdom, living temporarily, sojourning in the desert, but flourishing as unlikely as that may be and inviting others into the journey to God. This morning, I want to ask you to do a couple of things. Uh, First of all, answer the question for yourself. Have I rejected this world's kingdom and values and embraced the way of God's kingdom? Or am I really trying to walk two paths? And secondly, I'm asking you to pray with me. I believe God has something to say to us and show us on this journey. Will you pray with me that we as individuals and as a church family see and hear what he has for us? Pray that he guides our listening and our understanding. Pray that he guides our journey every single step. Pray for our transformation as a church. God wants to do something during this time. So will you bow with me in prayer right now? And I just want you to take a moment right now. And just be honest with yourself and be honest with God. I highly doubt, in fact, I firmly believe that none of us have perfected this. So we're called back to a point right now where we may need to declare to God again that we reject this world's kingdom. tell God this morning that you are determined to reject the kingdom and values of this world. I make you take it a step further. In this quiet moment between us and God, that's you if you need to make that statement this morning just put your hand up it'll help you be serious about this are you telling God I need to reject this world's system this world's kingdom and values and tell him in all sincerity Father I embrace your kingdom Father, I know that you are here 
know that you have something to say to us. You have something to show us. I know that you have a place where you're going to lead us. And so, Lord, on behalf of this church, we surrender. We surrender to what you have for us. And I know, Father, that it's going to stretch us a little. It's going to challenge us. also know, Father, that you have made it possible for us to thrive in the desert. To find everything we need and then some as we tap into the living water that you provide for us. God, you have delivered us and I praise you for that. But you have created us at this time to live in this environment and to demonstrate for the world around us that we have found everything we need to flourish in you. So Father, open our eyes to the world around us. Help us to see beyond people to a kingdom and its values. to reject that with great determination and to fully embrace the kingdom that you've called us into, that you've adopted us into, that you've made us citizens of. That's where we find what we need. You are our fortress. And you're everything that we need to flourish. So God, I just ask for a season of flourishing in individual lives, but for us as a church, that we will walk with Israel, that we will walk with Jesus, that we will acknowledge that we are your people, citizens of your kingdom, and that we will seek you, our fortress, as we journey together into what you have for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Psalms. Thank you for all the history that comes behind this, for so many testimonies throughout history of this reality that even though it is very unlikely that your people could flourish in this environment, we can and we will. And you're the reason for that. So we praise you for that this morning. And we invite you into this journey to lead us and to fulfill your will in our lives, in the life of this church, as we surrender ourselves to you. And I pray this in the name of the one who makes this a possibility, in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.